All right, y'all. Welcome to another episode of the Good News Cast. As always, um, Colin Coates here with Pastor Jeff Hatton. Colin. Um, we were just talking about, I should have just hit record and maybe should just do that from now. And we were talking about yeah. the uh, Christmas lights. Uh, and uh, you are the Grinch, apparently. Absolutely the Grinch. The Grinch and the great disappointment when it comes to Christmas lights. No Christmas lights for the Hatton kids. Yeah. I did Christmas lights last year, wrapped some trees. This year came to the realization that I set a precedent that I didn't know I was setting. Um, was very angry the other day trying to wrap trees, turn them on. A ton of them didn't work. Tried to replace bulbs to make them work. Didn't do anything. So got to redo all of it. Um, but as I was just saying off air, it's uh, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it because once I've got everything prepped, it's like vacuuming. I enjoy vacuuming and sweeping just the back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I don't is. know. You just kind of prove the why I don't do it. I mean, that whole light, like trying to figure out which light mm. is causing mm. all the others. That's just the finer details of things that I just don't want to be a part of. Ooh, no, no, no. I want nothing to do with it. I tried one light, that uh-huh. one where it stopped, and I like replaced it, and I already despised doing that. Oh. And uh, I'm just going to throw it away. Oh. I'm just going to throw away the whole strand and buy a new one. Yeah, maybe I should just do that. Which like, <laughs> yeah, which, you know, probably like nine and a half out of 10 people are like, wow, what a waste. Yeah. But I'm like, well, oh, no. I don't want to waste my time. That's what I keep telling my, I tell my family time. Time's more important to me than. Yes than that yeah. than the money yeah um that's why i don't do laundry i just throw my clothes away and buy new ones do you really? yeah it's a financial yeah. burden on our family though <laughs> um all right uh so we've been doing some theological topics uh, a couple weeks ago did um total depravity what does total depravity mean uh you could ask how sinful are we yeah uh i think last week we did can you lose your salvation um so can you come into the faith, leave the faith. Can you lose your, can you be saved and then not be saved? Um, so that's, uh, perseverance of the saints or preservation of the saints. However, some people say it, um, today we're going to talk election, uh, or predestination, foreknowledge, things like that. So let's talk all things, um, election. So, um, I, I'll, I, I'll start and then I'll throw the bigger kind of question to open it up to you sure. so we can start riffing on the scriptures. But here's the thing. Generally speaking, um, all Christians who read and believe the Bible believe there's this thing called election. There is the elect. There is God's election of the elect. We start there. We don't start with there's no such thing as election or there is. That's plain and obvious in the scriptures. People are called the elect. Christians are called the elect. Um, The Bible talks about God's foreknowledge, talks about God predestining, talks about God electing. So the nitty gritty questions get into, um, well, what does that really mean? Um, How does God elect? How does God predestine? Um, That's what we're going to, that's what we get into I want to say this because I want to be, I put it in my notes, but I think we should also circle back at the end and answer the question of how do you know if you're elect? As we talk about election and all these sorts of things, um, how do you know if you are elect and predestined? So I think that's a way that this topic really hits the ground. Um, 
before it's just kind of theoretical theology or whatever. It's it's highly personal. So um, I'll throw it to you sure. to just start talking about discussing what does it mean that God elects or how does election happen? How does predestination happen? Take Go. it. All right. So, all right. So we're talking about, obviously, what I, I love that introduction. We're talking about words that are in the Bible. We're talking mm-hmm. about ideas that are in the Bible. What we're trying to figure out is what those words, those ideas mean. So, and then two, the general consensus is um, you have uh, the Trinity. God is three persons in one. And the dynamics of this, what's been called intra-Trinitarian work, is where these words like election, ordain, sovereignty, uh, the counsel, his counsel, the counsel of his will, his will, his desire, that's describing, those are words that were actually given for the work that's intra-Trinitarian, where generally the Bible says, hey, that's not the place for you. You're not the fourth person in the Trinity. Uh, What goes on in there is not for you to know and try to figure out. Uh, What's for you to know and for what you are to walk in is the extra-Trinitarian works, the work of creation and its ongoing providence and the work of redemption. That's the stuff you want to have a PhD in, right? You want to dive deep into it. You want to discover all the wonders and riches of it that's already been revealed. However, though, we are given those words like election and predestination and the counsel of his will and his will and his desires, which do put uh, vocabulary and descriptions on certain things going on in the intra-Trinitarian works. So that's why this is such a interesting, mysterious, and even hot and controversial topic. So what do those words mean? That's that's where we're at, and it it seems from a fee, it seems from the whole wealth of scripture and the particular everybody has their proof text right uh, that the way uh, our tradition uh, understands those words is that God um, in His counsel uh, in the mind and heart of God in Trinity from all eternity uh, when considering fallen lost sinful humanity, uh, looking at, if we were to go to Romans 9, looking at that lump of clay, that fallen, broken, uh, in sin, uh, alienated, wrecked, ruined image bearers, uh, when considering that, that he had mercy on sinners and he chose, elected, predestined, ordained, pick your word, um, some from that fallen humanity to save and have mercy on and to graciously uh, bring to himself. And then others he left to themselves. And that's why in our tradition um, we see this, there's a, the meaning of predestination is that God saves sinners uh, there's another word called reprobation, which is where God leaves sinners to themselves. He leaves them to uh, the wreckage that they've brought in their lives and the justice that that sin uh, carries. Um, and so that's where the difference is. So there's not a, some in our tradition, they're like the Uncle Freds in our tradition, we call them. They're fringe 
that think that there's this thing called uh, double predestination, which is what Spurgeon dealt with, which was the hyper-Calvinism controversy, and, and, and it kind of rises and falls every once in a while. And there's also an element of what we call the mad Calvin disease, is that when you kind of grasp these doctrines of grace, that you turn into this crazy person that needs to be locked up for about two years before you can be safe to be released onto society and the church. Uh, but usually it has to do with that element of this double predestination idea, which is not biblical and is not in the Bible. So Romans 8, and I'll let you talk about this, Romans 8, uh, verse that many Christians know well, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that uh, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then we get into the verse that we talked about, I think, last week. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay. Hmm. Is that verse saying that many say that God foreknows, um, he foreknows, he knows beforehand who will believe in Jesus and pinpoints them. This person's going to believe in Jesus. They're going to make that choice. Let's say they're going to make that choice to believe in Jesus. So I know that beforehand I have foreknowledge of that. And therefore I elect them. Therefore I predestine them. Is that what that verse is saying? Or is God's foreknowledge different than God just knowing something ahead of time? Yeah, that's where we would we would uh, that foreknowledge is also another one of those words that's intertrinitarian, right? Um, and there is two two major views of that word, ideas of that ver- word that govern two major theological systems. Mm-hmm. One theological system has been classically called Arminianism. The other theological system has been called Calvinism. So, however you now answer that word for no. Uh, what that word means will actually set a trajectory into one of those two theological systems. Uh, well, one understanding of foreknowledge is God does look down the corridors of time, and he sees uh, the choice that humans will make for Jesus, and he has this prior information, and based on that prior information is what foreknowledge means, a prior information to a choice that's going to be made, those he predestined. The other view which uh, the word actually means, and I hate to be that, that kind of kind of blunt, but the word actually means foreknow means to have not prior information, but prior love. So it's the same word that's used when Adam knew Eve and begat Cain. And in the Bible, so-and-so knew so-and-so and gave birth to so-and-so. Uh, the word is very intimate. Obviously, it has an intercourse meaning, uh, and that's where this God has a prior love of sinful people, and because of this prior love of sinful people, he says, I'm going to save them, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to save them. And it's that is what predestination now is, based on that prior love, I will save them. I will elect them. Uh, My will is uh, exercised towards uh, saving them. 
And there you got the next of the cha- chain. You've got the call, mm-hmm. the justified, the glorified, all flow from that. That Romans 8.30, uh, I think, has been called the golden chain of salvation. Correct, It's yeah. this unbreakable chain. Yeah. Some Puritan um, said that. I can't remember his name, though. Um, and it, it's very helpful in this whole conversation of, you know, where does salvation come from? Where does election come from? Why do we believe that... Um, you know, uh, that, that you're not going to lose your salvation, that sort of thing. Uh, just if you want to dive deeper into this whole realm, if you want to dive deeper too, into just the, the reality and realm of election, Romans eight, Romans nine is huge. In Romans nine, Paul is taking a deep dive into it. And this is, this is picking up, um, mid thought. And so, uh, forgive the intro to this, but he says, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, um, and had done nothing either good or bad. He's talking about Jacob and Esau, and he's using he's trying to explain election um, using Jacob and Esau. It says, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. I know that's kind of broken up because I'm taking one verse out of um, the, the, the whole thought. So go back and open up Romans 9, pause this, read it. But, the, but all I wanted to, to point out there is that um, Paul says God's purpose of election um, is founded not on uh, works. And so when someone says God elects based on someone's decision or, or, or what have you to believe in Jesus, they're basing election on something in a person where Paul here is directly saying that election is based on God's will. It yeah. is just his heart. It's his will. Also, also in Romans 9, a great verse, he says he has mercy on whom he has mercy. He has mercy on who? Those who one day will make a good decision to believe in Jesus? No, he just has mercy on whom he has mercy. It's just based on his gracious heart and will and mind. And notice it is saying he has mercy. He had mercy on fallen yeah. people, people that don't deserve it. So again, it's that sense of wretched, wrecked people. Yeah. And just to, just to touch on that, cause that, and, and we'll kind of, I want to r- wrap this up uh, in the next maybe five minutes, but, but just to circle back, cause that, that is a really trippy part of this is you can get this idea of God is looking at good people and, or even just neutral people um, and that he just kind of arbitrarily picks some to go to heaven, which is, that's good for them. But then he's also arbitrarily just picking good people to go to hell. And that's not what we're saying. That's not what we see in Romans 8, Romans 9, elsewhere in the scriptures. No, God is, when we're talking about this process or this uh, reality of election, we are talking about God um, considering, if you will, sinful humanity. That if he just lets them go, um, they'll remain in their sin. They'll never believe in Jesus. We will never believe in Jesus and we are headed for hell. That's who he is looking at. And the wonder of all wonders is that he had mercy on anyone, uh, let alone many, many, many of us. Um, so God is electing. Um, I think that, you know, God is looking on sinful people and having mercy. Yeah. Last question I'll throw to you. Um, how do you know um, that you're elect? I think this is one of those kind of on the ground. This is where this topic hits people's hearts and minds. Well, okay, you're talking about the elect. The elect are people who are saved and they're going to be saved and they're in heaven. 
how do I know if I'm elect? What, how might you respond to that? That's so good because many people, um, even, uh, well, well, well-intentioned, well-meaning Christians are, um, shipwrecked, so to speak, uh, because of this totally, question totally. and our, um, let's just say it's a major, like, you know, they say a rusty nail can bring down a tree, kill a tree, kill an oak, a massive oak. This could be your rusty nail. Yeah. And that is for many of you, you're, you're constantly checking your spiritual pulse, but the spiritual pulse you're looking for is whatever sign and evidence there is of you being elect. You think the question of life is, how do I know if I'm elect or not? How do I know I've been predestined or not? How do I know that I've been foreknown, foreloved or not? How, how do I know? And then depending on your tradition, your theological stripe, your personality and your brokenness, you come up with a whole list of criteria and a whole list of measurements. And some, some lists have 20 elements on them. Some lists have three. And you're always checking different traditions and different personalities and people uh, in different churches. And everyone has these different criteria and measurements. And on and on it goes. And it's horrible. It's horrific. And you're imprisoned and turned upside down and inside out by whatever that measurement is. Cause sometimes let's be honest, you, you crush it and sometimes you don't crush it. So you're never certain you're never assured you're never standing on some solid rock. So this is a huge question. The answer is that's not the question. That's not the question of the Bible. Uh, the, the, the question is how do I know if I'm elect? That's not even the question. The question is, Run to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. The question is always Christ-centered. Election, predestination, foreordain, sovereignty is always Christ-centered. If your theology, we talk about the Bible being Christ-centered, we talk about preaching being Christ-centered, theology needs to be Christ-centered. Um, if Jesus is not at the center of predestination and election, Uh, you have a bodybuilder with no legs. You're going to have a good upper body and you're going to grasp some truths that are really real, but then you, you have no legs. You're not complete. You're not, you're not true because you're not, it's not universal. Um, So when Jesus is at the center of your predestination, you have a healthy predestination. You have a biblical predestination. Uh, How do you know if you're elect? If Jesus is at the center of your election, you have a biblical understanding of election. Well, run to Jesus. That's the answer every time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus is the assurance of your salvation. Mm -hmm. Election is not the assurance of your salvation. Jesus is the assurance of how you grow in the Christian life. Election is not the engine of the Christian life. Uh, And if we get that reset... Uh, you could remove that rusty nail from your tree mm-hmm. and you could right side up the ship that's been turned upside down of your Christian life if Jesus is back to being central in your theology. Yeah, I think to take out some of the scare of the question of, oh, how do I know if I'm elect? Who, who, are, who are the elect? They're Christians. That's our normal way of talking about who we're talking about. We're talking about Christians. We're talking about, okay, so what's a Christian? Uh, so we're asking, how do I know if I'm a Christian? Really, this this isn't some wildly like mysterious topic. You, how do I know if I'm elect is the same thing as saying, how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm saved? How do yeah. I know I have eternal life? Okay, so I think some of that, 
I think understanding what we're asking takes away some of the like mysterious ooh ah of the question. Yeah. So then, okay, all right, great. So what does it mean to be a Christian at the core? Uh, fundamentally, it means to know that you are a sinner and to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, so how do you know if you're a Christian? Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. That's my whole problem is that I want to have eternal life with Jesus. Do non-Christians want to have eternal life with Jesus? Do people who believe in G- don't believe in Jesus care about Jesus? No. <laughs> like, that is, uh, I was telling one of our youth that, that the, just the very distress of feeling like, am I elect? Like I, I want eternal life with Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve damnation and I want eternal life and I need forgiveness. And I know that forgiveness is in Christ. Okay. Those are the thoughts of a person who's been made alive by God. Um, people who, who do not believe this stuff do not care about it. They, they're they're not freaking out whether or not they're elect. So I would just kind of, uh, as a part of the equation, we're just saying, how do you know if you're a Christian? What's a Christian? They believe in Jesus. Great. Do you believe in Jesus? I do believe in Jesus. Wonderful. But how do I know that I know? Okay. Now we're starting to get into a little bit of a epistemological black hole. How do you know that you know that you know that you know, right? It's like, <laughs> right. let's not play silly games. Yeah. Do you believe in Jesus? I do. Great. Yeah. Rest. Even, Rest Cal- even Calvin used to talk about when you start entering these kind of discussions, it's this labyrinth that you open doors to that shut behind you and opens another door and you're lost. Yeah. You're absolutely yeah. lost. So you don't need to go down that hole and you don't need to enter yeah. that dark labyrinth um, stay with Jesus and you're okay. Yeah. And I mean, you could literally do it with anything. Like we ate at George's. How do you know that you ate at George's? Well, da, 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 da. Well, how do you know that? Well, da, 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 da. Well, how do you know that? It's like, well, we could do this all day. Yeah. We could do this all day until we look back and all the doors are closed and we're like, where are we? <laughs> what happened? You know, <laughs> we're lost. Yeah. I, I, I ate at George's. Yeah. Do you believe in Jesus? I do. Wonderful. Fantastic. Wonderful. Stay there. Enjoy eternal life. <laughs> right. You know? Right. Stay there. Don't get off that. Stay there. And this is getting into, well, you know what? There, there's another thought I have that I think is helpful, but we'll we'll talk about this uh, assurance of salvation. Yeah. Because, well, I shall say now, because here's the good news too in this, in this discussion. If in a normal, reasonable discussion about, do I believe in Jesus, you discover beyond a shadow of a doubt, oh no. I don't believe in Jesus. Do you know what the answer is? It's the same. Oh, okay. Believe in Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so, no matter where you end up, you never the point is you never end up in a place of works. Yeah. You never end up end up a place of I need to do better so that I know I'm elect. Right. Ooh, right. Okay, you're going the opposite way. Yeah. And even in those discussions where it usually in this situation it comes down to how do I know I have enough faith? Yeah. And even that is is, well, trust Jesus. It's actually not trusting in your faith. It's not faith in faith. It's actually looking away from yourself to Jesus. You say things like, okay, so uh, do you want to deal with your sins or do you want Jesus to deal with your sins? Oh, I want you, okay, that's trusting in Jesus. Do you want to try to establish a righteousness before God on your own or do you want Jesus's righteousness as your right? I want him, okay, that's faith. Welcome. 
Yeah. Welcome to eternal life. There you go. Sleep like a baby tonight. Yes. Um, all right. We'll wrap it up there. Um, as always, thanks for listening. We'll do something on assurance of salvation. We'll take a couple weeks off uh, over Christmas. Um, otherwise, hopefully you'll hear from us uh, next week. Bye.